Hi, I'm Alex. And I'm Kyler. Welcome to the Teens Age Podcast, where we talk about our opinions and interests. Welcome to the third episode, where we're going to be talking about philosophy. One of the first classes we took together when I started homeschooling recently was this philosophy class based around watching the series The Good Place. Have you watched the entire thing? I have watched all of it that's released on Netflix. Oh, okay. So you haven't watched the last season. No, I'm so excited for August. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like me. But did you watched it before, like all of it before you took the class? I actually didn't. I was the oh. one of the only kids. So I watched the first episode before I took the class to see if it was a show I like, because I don't watch TV <laughs> or anything, as you've probably heard, and like many other people are annoyed at me for. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I then watched it for the first time with the show, except for the second season. I like couldn't wait and then I started watching more so and then quarantine so there was some binge watching involved so you know we really enjoyed talking about philosophy and um with the context of the show as well so we want to talk about it some more I guess the first really big philosophical topic that we discussed was for our group project for the class which was based around the trolley problem if you yeah. don't know what the trolley problem is, the trolley problem is basically if you had to kill some set of people, who would you kill and why? So it's kind of asking the question of whose life do you prioritize more? Sometimes it's more people, sometimes it's less people, innocent, non-innocent. Which genders would you kill? Which ages would you kill? And for what reason? So traditionally, the trolley problem, you're in a trolley and you can't stop the trolley and you have to choose one of two ways of killing people. You can't get them to get out of the way or anything. In the simulator that we used, we used a car instead of a trolley to make it a little bit more modern. But it's still the same thing of like, you can only crash or go into someone because your brakes have failed. And so we addressed any possible combination of people that we could think of to see how people would solve this problem. And then we asked a bunch of people some very morally challenging questions, which was very fun. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's just a really complicated question that, and like many questions in philosophy, it doesn't have one right answer. So it's, it's really engaging to talk about, to kind of question your thoughts about it and your immediate reactions, that kind of stuff. So... What were the most interesting things? Like, I feel like we had a few really interesting ones that nobody could decide on. Yeah. One of the ones we looked at was where not everybody died. Some people would die and some people wouldn't instead of just everyone dies is a really interesting thing to look at because of um, the psychological damage that would come with, like, living through a car crash or being you know, either in the car or out of the car and or losing your family 
but you would survive, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, like, for young kids versus adults, like, who would you lean towards? Like, if you had to set pick a group to kill, like, who did you lean towards? So, I guess I, I always lean towards older people because they have already lived their lives and contributed to society in the ways that they have. And children have more of a life ahead of them. But I I have heard arguments that are about, you know, children haven't lived that long, so they don't have as much to lose versus older people who have established relationships and things and people that would get hurt. So what do you lean towards? I don't know. I thought about it more through the psychological standpoint, and it was really difficult because, like, if you're an adult, oftentimes your family is, like, you know, what you base your life around. And as a kid, I guess that's still true, but you also have a lot of friends and stuff. Mm. Like, you go to school and you're exploring. So, I don't know. But then if you have your parents die, it's... Yeah, it sucks. (laughs) It would be really hard to overcome that, and you would probably... I don't know. I honestly have so much trouble with that question just because I think both sides have a lot to lose and I don't think there's a right answer to that question. I might lean towards save the adults just from the standpoint of like I think a kid would be they wouldn't live the rest of their life the same way. Right, yeah. I mean, if I was in this position where, like, not necessarily in the car, but if I was, like, we were the ones getting crushed into, like, on a sidewalk or something. Right. Um, I would probably spend the rest of my life wondering, like, what I could do to save them. Like, what if? Mm, yeah. I feel like you would also do that, especially if you were a parent or grandparent. I guess you would, yeah. Like, what if I had... And even more because they were your responsibility, you know. Yeah, that is true. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe there isn't a right answer. A- There's not a right answer, but. Yeah. But I, mm, yeah. It's a complicated question. It really is. So, the other things that we ran into here, other than age, was. Oh, law abiding? Mm-hmm. If you have two not law-abiding people you tend to lean towards killing off the not law-abiding people but if there's two of them instead of one person yeah so and then when you you factor in like age and everything yeah so do you choose to kill the person who's law-abiding or the two people who are not law-abiding right how did you answer this one um i don't remember honestly i think I, I am not as strict on the law, especially when it's something as simple as, like, a crossing. Like, I feel like it's not as important. Well, like, obviously it is important because it would get you not killed. But um, I feel like if it was, like, if they were just clones of each other and they were all the same person, like, I would go for one person. Mm-hmm. But if it was, like, a baby, I'd probably not. <laughs> uh. yeah. 
it also it's something I I showed this to my grandparents and asked them questions about it and my grandmother was like well it's kind of automatic instinct to swerve when you're about to hit something so she would almost always say like she would swerve but I always think about like I would go straight forward because swerving would be like a choice to kill a person which seems worse to me in my head for some reason yeah, I guess, but they're also sometimes both choices. But you're yeah, often the person. I, guess so. I don't know how I see it is if like I'm driving the car and it's either I swerve and I kill people in the car versus I swerve and I hit people on the sidewalk. I would or like don't swerve and hit people on the sidewalk. I would almost always say swerve. Yeah. Just because I'm much more likely to sacrifice myself than I am to hit somebody who is in the middle of the road or something. Yeah. It is also the people in your car, though. Like, that would be your family or your friends. Yeah, which makes it more difficult. But there's also the thing, like, you have the choice to get in that car knowing that there could be an issue. Mm-hmm. Versus the people who were walking. There's there's not much danger. Like, yeah. I don't know. And it also is slightly safer to crash in a car than it is yeah. to be, like, hit on a sidewalk like the actual mortality rates are um higher yeah so i would probably always swerve but what would you do if it was one person two person law-abiding not i am i would persons people not abiding the law would be my always be my answer i think mm. um just my immediate reaction just because i like to abide by the laws and I think people should I mean unless you know there are some stupid laws but in this case I think that this in this case I think you should hit the people who are not abiding by the law because in not abiding by the law they put themselves at risk yeah if you look at it that way like they chose to not walk when they were supposed to yeah but you made the decision to run into them versus like one other person yeah I don't know. I'd probably No, I agree with, with your logic though. Like yeah. that they kind of put themselves in that situation. I don't know. I would probably I I'd probably always go law abiding. <laughs> it's just who I am. Or <laughs> like save the person who's abiding by the law. That's fair. The the thing that we had as a circumstance was that the people who were not abiding by the law were doctors or like some profession contributing to society yeah would that change your answer i i don't think it would uh i i know the other argument which you probably presented to me last time (laughs) and that was like but they could be rushing to save somebody's life or something right so i don't know i probably would go with I still would probably do the people not abiding by the law just because I I don't think it would be fair to the person abiding by the law. Sure. Yeah, know. no, that's fair. Yeah. Because I know you had the opposite me. opinion. So what was your logic behind that? Well, I mean, I, I always assume the best intentions behind bad actions. 
like if somebody's speeding or like you know especially in the car uh yeah <laughs> when my mom like is like ah oh, god why are you why can't you drive people get better driving and I'm like but they could be rushing to the hospital for their family member or something like that and so I'd like to think the best of people who you know neglect the law or common courtesy And I always am like, but it could be for this reason. But it is kind of making excuses for people. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's a tough one. Yeah, it really is. So the first big question we have is, how do we know we have found a friend who will help us improve? I found this one so hard. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I could go. So I'm reading Nicomachean Ethics by Aristotle. So, he has oh, I'm very, just reading that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm just reading. I just some light reading. It's only taken me what like since September. I haven't finished it yet. Oh, Gonna gosh. ignore that. <laughs> it's a little difficult to pick apart. Anyway, so he has this interesting thing where like, but it's kind of like, it's not a friend who will help you improve when you are the one who, when you're both trying to get something from the other person because if you're doing that then once that need is met then you don't need them anymore and therefore they haven't helped you improve I thought that was an interesting point yeah I think it's interesting because I think of like some of the best friendships coming out of needing to interact with each other Um, yeah but I think it's more of like a need to like I need you because you have a skill that I don't have or you have money and I don't have money, like stuff like that. Mm. But I think like a need for people is a different thing. I guess I'm just thinking of like books and TV shows right now, <laughs> but like I'm I'm thinking of, you know, unlikely friendships that come out of like needing help for, you know, I guess military purposes in some shows or I guess like just having a mutual enemy and just needing to do something with that or something like that and getting a mutual relationship out of that that teaches you something. But I I guess. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. But it also makes sense to just be like, if it's only a necessity it's not really a friendship. Yeah. Because, I mean, you gain stuff from your friends. It's not like you don't get anything from them. Yeah. But I think this is more talking about, like, things, like, you don't keep them around for the sake of enjoying their company. Oh, yeah. But for some other excess reason. Right. So, yeah. Uh, what did you think on the question? Um, I don't know. I don't think I thought about it too in depth when we first looked at them, but I guess I always find after relationships that most of them have improved me. Like, I think almost all of my friendships have at least taught me something. Um, Yeah, I'd say, yeah, I guess that's fair. But I, I think that there are if they will directly help you improve, like, if they're there to support you, then there's signs of that in, like, how they 
interact with you, you know, how they show that they care about you. Mm-hmm. I don't know what those are. But <laughs> yeah, I get that. Cause I, yeah. I've puzzled over that question for a long, long time. And I couldn't come up with anything like, I couldn't come up with anything that was like, this is why. Mm, yeah. I think there's a lot of factors. I often find that I don't notice or don't think about it until, like, the friendship is over for whatever reason. Mm, yeah. So, I don't know. It reminds me a lot of one of the other questions that are smaller that we talked about in class, um, which was, how do you know you can trust someone? Yeah. And, like, I don't know. I When I look back over people that I've trusted I just there isn't something they share that I think about immediately I've never thought about it that way but I guess I've also never found like I've never I don't know it's a difficult question yeah (laughs) I think it's also what you were talking about with looking back on a friendship after it's over is like you it's easier to see your progression as a person you know through a lens of like this is the past and this is who I was and who I am now is different so it's yeah. easy to be like ah that's because of this particular friendship that happened during that time yeah or i mean the opposite too like <laughs> <laughs> i see the change but it wasn't a good one <laughs> yes so the second question that we have is how much of our identity is connected to our memory? I've read so many theories about like <laughs> different ways you could think about this. But I honestly think that like your memory kind of makes up your identity in a way, because if you think about it, like you change because of big events. And if you don't remember those big events, you yeah. know, you aren't as likely to continue with that change. Yeah. I guess it's always interesting to me because it connects to questions about um, core identities and who we are without external events and, and circumstances beyond our control. Because I feel like our childhood shapes a lot of us and the way we think and the way we interact with the world is primarily based on stuff that we can't change so it's it's it makes me uncomfortable to think that my entire identity is based around things that I had nothing to do with yeah (laughs) I'd like to think that I have you know that I've made myself who I am but it's really kind of stuff like my environment and and my parents and where I grew up yeah, it's really crazy how much that affects you. Yeah. It's also kind of scary. Yeah. <laughs> we all like to think that we did so much to get where we are. I, I think of, like, if somebody grew up in, like, just a white box or something, then they probably wouldn't have a fully formed personality. Yeah, because part of your personality just comes from interacting with other people and other environments. Right. Yeah. It's weird. Very and I, I I agree that memory makes up so much of, like, who we are. We adjust our memories to fit who we are as well. Yeah. Like, it's a weird relationship. It really is. 
But like, have you have you heard of retrograde amnesia? Yeah, I'm taking yeah. a psychology class right now, so. <laughs> yes. I've, I've had a lot of time to ponder over this question. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a weird, weird condition. Yeah. Or um, the person that, like, got, what, the rail, person on the railroad who got, like, the pole stuck through there. Yeah, oh, yeah. Which basically created the same effect. Mm-hmm. But their personality was completely different. Especially since memory is something we don't have any control over. Like, it just kind of goes sometimes. Like, I can't remember most of my childhood, but it has made me who I am. Kind of. Yeah. Weird. I guess that is kind of weird, because, like, I have no reason why I, like, no reason to do some of the things I do, but I guess there's probably a reason. Yeah. Somewhere back in my childhood. So the third question we were looking at was, when should you give up on a plan? This is really hard because I'm somebody who plans so, so, like, I plan everything <laughs> out every single day. Yeah. I don't plan everything out, so I have even less experience with planning. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I mean, for just, like, daily things, I give up on a plan when it's no longer either effective or I don't have the energy or time or I guess I don't want to anymore like yeah you know I guess we take it right now like it's 90 degrees and sunny like did I want to do math today no no I didn't want to do math today like I mean the day's not over I might still do it but (laughs) Like, I chose not to do that because I chose not to execute my plan because I didn't want to do it because I had other things that were more important to me. Yeah. I don't know. When when circumstances change and when it no longer makes sense to do what you were doing, like planning on doing, I have a hard time letting go of my idea of how things are supposed to go. Yeah. (laughs) Like. I, I have a really hard time with birthdays because I have this idea that they're supposed to go perfectly in this one specific way. And, you know, yeah. they don't work like that. <laughs> uh, um, I also had an issue with that as a child. Mm. It's a really interesting point to bring up. I just don't know when to, like, when I hit my, ah, so this doesn't work, I should try something else thing. Yeah, and I guess swimming might have helped me with that because you bring up the point of like oh this doesn't work when should I like when should I try something else because with swimming I have to constantly change my race strategy how my stroke works my breathing pattern because the plan didn't work and so I guess the point that I give up on that is I mean it's kind of when my coach tells me I need to try something new (laughs) but it's also kind of when like I'm not getting anything out of it anymore. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting because I it makes me think of, like, when I give up in friendships and relationships with people. Like, when should I stop putting as much energy in? Or when should I look at a problem from another angle? Yeah. Yeah, that's another interesting point. You never, like, you think of these questions and then you're like, you see this one way that you could think about it, and then you realize there are, like, 
27 other ways that you could think about that issue. Yeah. And other things you could connect it to. Right. It's such a big question. It covers so many, like, different... Yeah. Plans. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what? Like, what are we defining as a plan? Like, I plan out my day. I plan out my year. I yeah. have a plan for my life. Like... <laughs> At what point do I give up on each of those? I guess for me it's when it just like no longer serves its purpose as effectively. Like I tend to I I'm not the best at being flexible, but I'm I feel like I'm getting better at it. And primarily it's because I realized that sometimes the plan becomes obsolete in the face of new circumstances or just how the day went. Hello folks, you're nearing the end of the podcast. This is just the final reminder to let you know that next week will be our book chat on Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. So if you want to know what we're talking about and avoid any spoilers, we would highly recommend reading beforehand. Thank you so much for listening in. This has been the Teens Age Podcast with Alex and Kyler.